The Burton Continuum is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Some language may not be suitable for younger audiences. How do you how do you catch a snake? You gotta grab, grab him. Head. You gotta grab him where he can't bite you. Yeah. So if he's a real long one, if I if I get him by the tail, I can I can keep moving where he can't bite me. Yeah. And snake will wear out quick. Not them big ones. Yeah, they will. They'll, I mean, he might not be as quick, but they. Will Ward Burton is about to go on a python hunt. So naturally, he's showing me and Jeb how he plans to catch the dangerous snake. I'm trying to get away. If you don't grab it just perfect, their mouths will do that because they're a constrictor. I'm probably going to pay the pulper. Yeah. I would wear gloves. Shit, the gloves? What that's going to do here and here and everything? Wear a long sleeve shirt. Try. Those teeth are so long, I don't think a shirt going to help none. If it gets you right here, you're dead. If he busts an artery, it wouldn't be pretty. <laughs> Ward Burton is the definition of a legend. He's won a Daytona 500 and a Southern 500. He once lived in the woods for two years. And he caught a python with his bare hands. But to fully understand the Burton legacy, you need to know that racing might not always be what the Burtons are most known for. I'm Alex Timms, and this is the Burton Continuum. That voice off in the distance is Ward Burton, one of the most distinctive voices in NASCAR history. How's it going? Good, good to see you. Wasn't y'all in the Dale Jr. podcast? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We met Ward at his foundation's office, which is perched off a fairly busy highway running through Halifax County, Virginia. Ward's foundation is where he spends most of his days now. But in case you forgot, some of his best days in racing came when the lights shined brightest. At South Boston, Virginia, Ward Burton comes to the line, checkered flag is up, and Ward Burton is going to win the 44th Daytona 500. I got some really good words for him, but I can't say it on TV, but I got to just control myself right at the moment. It's Gordon racing bottom of the line for second behind Ward Burton, who comes to the caution and white flags and wins the Southern 500. I wish I had something like a shot to the window. Ward was a fan favorite during the NASCAR boom of the 90s and early 2000s. His aggressive style on the track and his southern mannerisms off of it made him a timeless classic to fans. But his family knows the legend of Ward Burton runs even deeper. How would I describe Ward? That is a very loaded question. <laughs> Ward's a mess. He is a mess. He's not afraid to tell you what he's thinking. Man, he gets along with everybody. I've never seen anyone that didn't like Ward. Ward was, and still is, like he's got your back. And he, I always knew he had my back growing up. He's a good dude. If you need something, he's gonna do it. 
all five foot eight of him would whip someone's ass if they messed with me or Brian. Like, that's just who Ward is. My mom is just one of those folks that, you know, if somebody's walking down the side of the road, she's gonna pick them up. My dad is a lot more even kill. I mean, I don't know many times of my dad yelling, but I can name a few where he'd just, he'd just take care of the problem with his fist. <laughs> Ward is the oldest of the three Burton boys. And through his 60 years, he's only known one place to call home, South Boston, Virginia. Well, I got caught for everything I did. Brian didn't <laughs> caught, get caught for anything. <laughs> and Jeff learned from the two of us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we did about everything that you could possibly imagine. You know, it was, it was different when we were growing up. You know, we didn't have cell phones. We could be gone for four or five hours and there was nothing to it. Actually, my kids told me one day I should write a book and we should name it. Yeah, we really did that shit. Um. <laughs> I had a fabulous, I, there, if I could write a book and if I told the truth, nobody would believe that we lived through it. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Whenever I ask the Burton boys about growing up in South Boston, specific stories aren't really shared. I get the casual everything and anything, or raised hell, or my personal favorite, it was just the 70s, man. But as I'm sitting at this picnic table with Ward, I can feel the excitement and energy trying to escape his body with every detail he tells me about his childhood. So with my dad and my granddads and my grandparents, my, grand, my grandmothers, they were Southern bells. You know, it's everything that you hear of Southern, Southern folks. You treated people nicely. You didn't create drama, particularly unnecessary drama. And the men and the women worked, man. Everybody pulled their weight. And then I had this whole other separate <laughs> role model with C.R. Sanders and his, his friends. And they were all very eccentric characters. Most of them had been in one conflict or another, either Korean War or Vietnam. As the oldest, Ward had a lot of freedom growing up. And that freedom allowed him to seek out all kinds of role models. C.R. Sanders was a friend of Ward's father, John. Together they helped build the first private school in Halifax County. And Sanders decided to take a young Ward under his wing. And the experiences were priceless. So you got you got to realize it's the 70s. The 70s and 80s, what, there was a lot of things, a lot of things a little bit, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna self-discriminate against myself, but there was a lot of damn things going on with the parties, and I, you know, it was, it just was a different world back then. Hell, man, we survived it. <laughs> but we had some wild times, you know, and through all those- I'm not sure how long the statute of limitations is on potential crimes in the 70s, but when you're a teenager hanging out with military vets twice your age, the stories are endless. I shot a, a automatic 45 machine gun, Thompson machine gun, at 13, 14 years old. And they were highly illegal. <laughs> I mean, that was before, like, the movie of Jaws came out. Yeah. We swam with sharks, all kind of sharks. 
how big they were, I can't remember. But I mean, we never knew to be afraid of a shark. I mean, I can remember Sanders taking a float and they had put a burlap sack, tied it onto the float, and they had these huge safety pins. And they were, Sanders was showing, it's okay to be free to skinny dip. <laughs> never gave it a second thought. We never did. Well, I, I wasn't going to experience that in Halifax County. Those older role models treated me and Sanders' kids and a couple others like we were little adults. We knew, we knew where our place was, but they treated us like we were young adults. Respect from his elders was important to Ward. As a teenager, he worked as a laborer for the family construction business and didn't want to be viewed as daddy's boy or the boss's kid. My granddad left his home permanently when he was 12 years old. He wound up in Canada working on some railroad yards. He came back in the 40s and created J. Burton Construction. But when Dad took, you know, by the time I'm 12, my dad's taken over the construction company. Dad made me go to work the eight-hour days with the grown men. Of course, I'm just a laborer. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know anything. But I did learn real damn quick that first week. I'm the son of the gentleman that owns the company. If I'm gonna have any respect from anybody, from the subcontractors to the laborers that work for J. Burton Construction, they can't outwork me. You say, oh, here's the rich boy. You know, the rich boy's gotten everything and this and that, and you know, he's prim and proper, and he's got his hair slicked back and all that kind of stuff. And you know, Ward wasn't like that. Brian's right. Ward wasn't like that. Ward eventually went off to college and after his first year, quickly realized it wasn't for him. That left Ward searching for answers. So he turned to what he knew best, the outdoors. I wanted to go to something that I, I knew I felt at peace at, and I just, you know, I just didn't know where my life was going. And being outdoors, I'm, I'm at peace, I'm self-reliant, and that's what I needed. Ward spent two years living in a cabin in the woods with no running water or plumbing. Yeah, you heard that right. He trapped his own food, sold the pellets for money, and bathed in the same creek he drank from. Like, who does that? Here he is on the Dale Jr. download, explaining it all. You didn't have a car. No. So how did you get to the store? You didn't I didn't go, go to the store. I didn't need anything at the store. Well, where did you get your water at? Creek down below. That's where I bathed at, too. Really? Yeah. And you ate everything. You went and killed and hunted and trapped for everything you ate. Pretty much. I mean, you know, look, I, it wasn't like I was living in the middle of British Columbia in an igloo. <laughs> At this point, you may be wondering when racing came into the picture. But by the time Ward got out of military school, and then college, and then the woods, Ward's parents had been divorced, and his father was already all in with Jeff racing at South Boston Speedway, leaving Ward 
left to find his own way back into racing. Dad and I relationship kind of got a strained a little bit when when my parents split up. Me being the oldest, seeing what it did to my mom and my two younger brothers, uh, it, it took us a few years to get past all that. Some of it was me, some of it was him. So you y'all y'all know everybody, there's no perfect family. My mom and dad were perfect parents. And I was, and still feel that way today. But when they split, it obviously affected Jeff a lot more than me. Around this time, tension started to build, mainly between Ward and his dad, who was simultaneously trying to build a relationship with Jeff through racing, which ultimately led to tension between Ward and Jeff. When I was brought up, I was made to go work in construction because that was what my granddad founded, my dad run. That was, it was like a family farm, you know? What do you do at a family farm? You go work and pull your weight. Well, I realized real quick when Jeff got to that age, dad did not make him do that. So it gave me a little bit of an attitude. How that, why the hell does he get to stay, you know, do something other than work? This barrier started with a little jealousy and a fight for attention and carried on into their racing careers, which drove them even further apart. We raced against each other forever. It sucked. It sucked. Growing up in a small town, you know, two guys running cup, running late models at South Boston in Orange County, running Xfinity cars at South Boston, Orange County, running Cup on television, people constantly compare you. No matter what, they constantly compare you. What what happens, and it's just, it's hey, it's a regular human trait that we all got, right? If you're doing your job, well, I'm doing mine, and you get to this point, it's, it's not jealousy, and it's not... Uh, or wishing that that you had it that way. It's just it's just a normal feeling that it's it's it separates you emotionally. We had to learn to get past that. Like we had to learn to coexist in a sport that's cutthroat, right? Like I like you know, you're racing for your job, you're racing for your livelihood. You know, on those days, Ward and I finished first and second, I think, three times. And I, I finished first all three. And the white flag is showing as Jeff Burton maintains that advantage on Brother Ward. Ward Burton pursuing but not having a great deal of luck. Here is Jeff Burton crossing the finish line and winning the Las Vegas 400 for 1999. Up the bank it goes Jeff Burton. Ward is not going to be able to get there. Out of turn four to the stripe, give the checkers again to Jeff Burton by Harley's over his brother Ward. I was excited in all three of those, but I was also sad in all three of those because two of those I passed him for the win. You know, I took those wins away from him, and there was this damn, I just won another cup race. That's awesome. But I took it from Ward. 
It's why I will not, Harrison's been on my ass for forever about racing in a race with him, and I won't do it. Long-distance relationships ain't easy. And particularly when you're competitors, you know, what if, what if you were boxers? Are you going to be real close and go try to knock the other guy out? You know, at some point, there is always a little barrier. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm competing with somebody, I don't really want to be your buddy. You know, there was, a, there, was some ten, there was a lot of tension there for a while. A lot of tension. There, there were some times that Jeff and I could have worked together as a team to maybe help both boys in different things, and, and I could never make that happen. You know, I felt like I'm the oldest time for me to reach out to Jeff to see how, how in the future maybe some of this family tension can be worked out. There's more award on the way. But first, support for the Burton Continuum comes from Pristine Auction. Alex, I have a question for you. Yes, what is it? Do you remember how cool it was to get someone's autograph for the first time as a kid? Yeah, actually, I've got a funny story for you. So I waited outside a beer tent for like 20 minutes with my sister when I was like 11 years old to get uh, Steve Park's autograph. Can't go in the beer tent at 11 years old. Uh, they wouldn't let me. And clearly I was just there for the autograph and they still wouldn't let me. So I'll raise you getting Steve Park's autograph for a story about getting Joe Nemechek's autograph. Wow, Joe Nemechek. <laughs> I was at New Hampshire Motor Speedway and I had a stuffed animal dog named Lucky that was green and Joe signed the stuffed animal dog. <laughs> Very memorable autograph experience. Yeah, there's no top in that one. But I love autograph memorabilia still to this day. Same. And if you want more autographed items, I know just the place. Yeah, what's that? This episode of the Burnt Continuum is brought to you by our friends at Pristine Auction. Pristine Auction is the most trusted place to get autograph racing memorabilia. With thousands of daily auctions starting at $1, you can win authentic signed racing memorabilia at affordable prices. Just last week, yeah. a Dale Earnhardt Jr. signed helmet sold for $135. What wow. a steal. That is a great deal. Imagine all the awesome autographed items you can find on Pristine Auction. If you want great deals like that, you can use code BURTON for $10 off your first auction one on pristineauction.com. Say it one more time real loud for the people in the back. That's code BURTON for $10 off your first auction one on pristineauction.com. Testing one, two, three, door bumper clear. Pretty good. How was your day with the Burtons? It was pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Actually, dude, I got a story for you. Oh, sweet. Sit down. I need to test these mics anyway. Okay, cool. So, you know, I was just with Ward, and I think I finally understand the whole Ward and Jeff tension. Tell me. So... Remember when we talked to Jeff and it was a lot of like competition stories, you know, he, he beat him three times and that's kind of what led to it. And he always yeah. kind of felt bad about it. But with Ward, like, I just feel like he took so much responsibility because he was the older brother. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it, it was more of just a competition thing and it really wasn't personal. 
that just kind of drove a wedge between them. Kind of like they were so – you reach that level like a Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and that's all you think about. And no matter who you're around, you mm-hmm. just – Maybe kind of like Kirk Bush and Kyle Busch. Yeah. They it, wrecked each other. Very, very similar, I think. Like, I think they had it more civil, but like behind the scenes it was, you know, you're my competitor. Why would I – you know, why would we be best friends? Hard to argue. Ward's racing career was extremely successful. He spent 13 years racing in the Cup Series and won five times. He's a Daytona 500 champion and a Southern 500 champion. Two titles every driver would love to have next to their name. I didn't win that many cup races, and I, there was 20-plus that we were just dominant car, and more times than not, it was the motor or the lug nuts. We just would give damn. Now, I made some mistakes, obviously, too, but we just gave away damn races like Pocono, Charlotte's. I mean, I could... We just, I mean, I can't even see the second place car. Oh, there's smoke coming from Wardburg. Smoke from Wardburg going into the corner. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Not deserving of that kind of fate. He led the early in the race for 13 laps. He led later in the day. And the crew just can't believe it. They led 60 laps. Mm-mm. It's not a fair business sometimes, but you got to be around at the checkers. We're coming right back. It ejected Ward Burton. Ward, looked like you had him covered today. Did it give you any indication it was going away? No, nah, the car was good. All the NBA teams worked hard. We got a good team. Uh, we just can't get a daggone break. Ward spent nine of his 13 seasons driving the number 22 car for Bill Davis Racing. And all five of his career wins came with Bill Davis, including the 2002 Daytona 500. Winning a 500 obviously makes up for some of it, but uh, I was capable of winning a hell of a lot more than I did. Probably for the most part, Jeff was probably in better cars than Ward, just due to the nature of the car owner. 96 sacrificed everything in an old Cadillac, he had no job, and now look, they towed a 500 winner. Does, does this reality match that dream, Tommy? Ward was, I guess, too loyal to some of his cup owners, that he had opportunities to go with the, the big three back then the big four teams and he stuck where he was because he just felt you know, he was obligated and loyal to do so. The big four Brian is referring to were teams like Hendrick, Gibbs, RCR, and Roush. But Ward stayed loyal to Bill Davis, who parted ways with Ward less than two years after winning that Daytona 500. 
reflecting back now, should he have done something different? Who knows? As I look back on it, you know, most people are, they're really selfish. They're going to look after number one. That's all they're going to do with their career, and I didn't do that. Ward may look back at the races he's lost. But to be honest with you, in my conversations with Ward, his racing career is rarely brought up. And I think it's by design. Because after 15 years removed from hanging up his helmet for good, racing no longer defines who Ward is. And actually, I'm not sure it ever did. You know, I got to the point, I just, I didn't know who to trust, and I just put the helmet in the closet. I quit. You mentioned on, on Dale's podcast how, you know, you got up and quit, but you had this whole other life. Did that make it easier for you to not look back when you quit? Well, I can remember calling my brother Bron when uh, it really was going to hell in a handbasket. And he really was concerned for me. What are you going to do? I said, Brian, I'm going to go on with my life. I'm just not going to drive a race car. When he did retire, I mean, every race, you'd see a banner, where's Ward, where's Ward, where's Ward? You know, what's he doing, what's he doing? Do I look back and wish like I maybe have made some different Choices, absolutely. But I did have a whole nother life, and I had that whole other life while I was racing. Racing was a career. This other stuff is a lifetime endeavor. This other stuff is Ward's Wildlife Foundation, whose purpose is to preserve the land he grew up on, the land that helped mold him into the man he is today. Ward always had two lives. He had the racetrack, his racing career, and then he started this foundation in 1996. And he and I did it together out of our basement. That's Tabitha, Ward's wife. And it has grown tremendously. We're very blessed, um, but it's, it's really a full-time job. He probably works 15 hours a day on that. All I knew is I wanted to make a difference and give back to natural resources. Little did I know it would grow into us a life of its own. It's really like one of my children. We do a few events a year. We, you know, we're, we're actually taking kids out in the forest or different habitats. And then we have- There's two programs the foundation focuses on mostly youth outreach, and military veteran outreach. And the more land the foundation acquires means more opportunities for experiences like this. As that started happening, acquiring more land, that it became real evident when we had four veterans from Iraq and we took them for three or four days. One of the guys I picked up on the airport really couldn't, he, he, he didn't speak almost the entire two and a half drive 
to this conservation model of ours. The other three were gone ho I mean, they wanted to go back right now. Well, I saw at the end of those four days, when I was driving back with the young man, I couldn't get a word in. <laughs> so I saw these guys pick up one of their comrades. And from that moment forward, that's been 16 years ago, from that moment forward, we've been using every acre that we have, which we're almost 10,000 acres now, for veteran outreach. It's during these experiences where Ward has truly realized his calling in life. Experiences you can't get from racing. Well, I've cried a many times in joy. <laughs> I mean, some of these guys, when they start telling you their stories, uh, I mean, I just talked to a gentleman yesterday that's formed his own foundation. He's a paralegic. He had an IED go off in his uh, vehicle years ago. You know, but he was, if I hadn't have known that or he hadn't have told me, he was just as gone ho as we are right now. My whole life is driven by things that's more important than me. I mean, I, I work on that. I know what I'm going to do every daggone morning. I'm not out here trying to make another dollar. I could be focusing just strictly on that. I was really lucky, you know, to make a few dollars when I was racing, and I want to give back and I'm, I'm driven by it. Ward knows everything about every acre. You know, he gets out there and he walks it and he posts it and he knows if somebody has, a, you know, someone's trespassed, that kind of thing. And he's just really passionate about protecting it. He always says it's like a child that doesn't have a voice and he can be the voice. Ward has given over 10,000 acres of land a voice. But when Ward's voice is gone, the land becomes voiceless. That's where Jeb comes in. Because while his racing career has been a constant grind to find sponsorship and momentum, he has taken on a bigger role with the foundation, along with his two siblings, Sarah and Ashton. Ward realized that he had to take it to the next level because he didn't want it to die. You know, founder syndrome, he didn't want it to die when he dies. Yeah. And, and really, Jeb has taken on a lot of that and it's been, it's been really nice. Um, Ward is proud of that, I'm proud of that. If I had a magic ball, I want to race for at least another 15 years. If I wasn't racing, I would be doing that full time. You know, that will be probably one of the things that Jeb will do after he's not racing. It's not, this ain't thing about me. I can just be the leader, but I, I, don't, make, I don't make any decisions without all of us involved. I used to, because it used to be just me, myself, and I, basically. But now I, I want to include staff in every single thing. And, you know, I, I want them to be taken care of be happy, good place to work, and uh, carry the ball when, I, when, I'm, when my day comes. Someone to carry the ball when that day comes. Isn't that what a legacy is? To carry on something built before you? So if that's the case, the Ward Burton Wildlife Foundation 
could be just as important to the Burton legacy as racing. Now, I think it's a combination, um, but I think the foundation is something that will, like you said, maybe be more of a legacy because the land is protected, you know, into perpetuity. Well, look, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't care about it, but that's certainly not a priority at any means. Um, You know, as a dad, I want what's best for my children. If Jeb wants to make it in racing, then I hope that with his efforts and hard work, that's what happens. If there's anything I can do to help him while I'm still here, Everybody knows from the race team to his partners, all they got to do is tell me when and where, how, and that's what I'll do. A legacy is something every athlete hopes to leave behind. And Harrison and Jeb hope to add on to the one their dads built. Because if not, then the Burton name simply fades away. If it doesn't work for me and Harrison, I don't know who's it going to work for. So if if we fail, I think it's over. I think we've done it. Like, me and Jeb have both won in NASCAR races, and it's crazy. Four members of a family have all raced NASCAR's highest level and have all succeeded at some point in their career. And, you know, if I don't win the races, I want to be able to lay my head down at night and say, hey, I tried my dang hardest, and maybe I just wasn't good enough or whatever. But... That's the biggest thing, I think, to adding to it is doing the things that Jeb has done, doing the things that I've done, working hard and, you know, trying to earn it, I think. It's not about Burton legacy or none of that stuff. It's, it's about uh, if that's what they want, you would hope they'll have the opportunity to see and get it. on the season finale of the Burton Continuum. Well, there's a race at Talladega. Fans circle it on the calendar, and we got a great day for it. Late afternoon affair. I feel like I'm in a situation I have to win or I'm not going to have a job. It's like death row, man. You go down there, everyone's a killer. Daytona Talladega make me nervous. Kill and I have seen some things that aren't pleasant. It's a family affair at the front right now. You got Harrison Burton leading, and down in that bottom lane, Jeb Burton looks good at the 10. And once again, the Burtons are together. And they've said this before you know what? It always seems like we end up racing near each other. I'm trying that crap. I'm trying that crap. If they're the same driver three years from now that they are today, they won't have a job. Oh, Jeb's in the wall! He was on the outside of Harrison trying to take that spot. Harrison Burton's going to win in Texas! The only way it was going to happen is if I just wrecked him. If you're going to lose anybody, you know, might as well be your own family, I guess, right? And to 
day, the checkers to Jeb Burton. What an awesome scene. <laughs> Position between the first. Who is the final card to advance? The Burton Continuum is a production of Dirty Mo Media. This show is produced and narrated by Alex Timms. Executive producer Mike Davis. Assistant producer. Jason Schultz. Audio Master by Matthew Dillner. Artwork by Sean Sen. Audio Engineering by Joe Radler. You can follow us on all social media platforms at Dirty Mo Media. You can find all episodes of The Burden Continuum and other original content at DirtyMoMedia.com. Broadcast audio is credited to Fox, NBC, MRN, PRN, and CBS. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and